0: Let's try this again. Do you guys remember a Charlie Brown Christmas? And do you remember how Charlie Brown, it's Christmas time and he's supposed to be happy, but he's all sad and glum. And everyone's telling me, this is a time to be joyful. This is a time to be happy. What's going on, Charlie Brown? And you know, they're pretty down on him for not being more celebratory as Christmas approaches. And Christmas is, of course, a time... For celebration, It's a time for joy. It's a time for worship. But as we find ourselves on the end of the Advent season, we're reminded that Advent is actually a time to be like Charlie Brown a little bit. It's a time to acknowledge that which we don't have. It's a time to long for things that are not yet. It's a time uh, for preparation for Christmas. You know, we're preparing to be celebratory, we're preparing to worship, we're preparing to adore the creator of the universe. And one of the things that Advent does is it invites us to actually strip away the things that get in the way, to, to take off false worship, to cast down idols, to rip away the pretenders to the throne, because we all have them. We all have these things that come between us, and the Lord. We read today, Mary's song. It says, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior." And I know that there's some of that in our hearts today, and yet sometimes uh, the the fullness of who Jesus is there's there's not room for that in our lives because we have these other things. You know, as we read Mary's song, there are these really powerful words about God pulling down rulers and casting away the proud and 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 taking those who are haughty and lowering them and and taking those who are rich and sending them away empty and the birth of Jesus is a reminder that God is using the weak things of the world you know we we read in the book of Revelation that Jesus is going to come on his Mighty stallion with with his white robe and his white hair, and he's coming in power and majesty. And his words, his tongue is like a sword out of his mouth, and he comes to conquer. But when Jesus came the first time, he came as a little baby in a backwater town of a backwater territory of a Roman Empire that didn't care a thing for what was going on a few miles outside of Jerusalem. Didn't care. Uh, about this promised Messiah at all. And most of the world didn't have a clue that it was even happening. So when Jesus comes in weakness, he's reminding us that the powers of the world are falling away. These are not the true powers. Political rulers and the empires they rule, they rise and fall, they die and they disappear. Money, wealth and influence, they rust, they fade they fall away. Military might and physical force pale in comparison to the power of Jesus. So in order for us to magnify the Lord, what does the word magnify mean? To make bigger, right? If we want Jesus to be bigger in our lives, then we need to make everything else smaller. Do you remember when John the Baptist was preparing a way for Jesus and People came to him and asked him, are you the one we've been waiting for? He says, no, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and tie the sandals of the Messiah. He must become greater and I must become lesser. He must be bigger and I must be smaller. That's the invitation as we finish our Advent season and look into Christmas. Is that we would make the things that are not God smaller. So that which is from God can be bigger in our lives. You know, if a baby like Jesus, again, born in the middle of nowhere for all practical purposes, can change the world, and he has and he continues to do so, then why is it that we pursue this worldly power? Why is it that we look to these these, uh, things that are not God to do what only God can do? If a poor infant can be the king of the universe that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, then how much should we be investing in the fleeting possessions of life? If salvation can come from a place far from the temple and far from the high priests, how much should we be investing in putting our hope in even religious uh, traditions and religious power centers of the world? Again, Advent is a call to strip away, you know, prepare Uh, Prepare your hearts to make room for Jesus, right? We're we're stripping away, we're emptying things out so that they can be filled with the fullness of Christ. And this is why Advent and Christmas function as idol wreckers. In the Old Testament, there were many times where God invites his people to tear down the idols and the altars and the worship places for other gods. But do you ever wonder why those altars and idols are there in the first place? You know one of the side effects, if you will, or one of the the dangers of this Jewish and now Christian conception that there's one God means that he's going to be worshipped in somewhat of a localized place, so the Jews to to meet with God they had to go to the tabernacle or the temple. but all the surrounding nations they could bring God right into their home there were there were temples in other countries and other nations but But each family might have a shrine to their gods. You might remember in the story of Jacob, when he's been working for seven years for his wife, Leah, uh, for his wife, Rachel, and he gets Leah instead. And then he works another seven years uh, for his father-in-law. And when they leave, Rachel steals the family idols. They had a shrine right there in their home. This was commonplace. And so no matter what you were facing, no matter what you were dealing with, you could see a real and present idol, a real and present God to worship, to pray to, to get help from. Now, we know these idols were not very much help, but there was something tangible and real and present, not like the God who's off in the temple. It, you guys know the story of the, of the, the tabernacle and the temple, how the, the glory of God would come down in it, And Moses would go in, for example, and talk to the Lord, and his face would be shining. He had to put a veil on to cover his face. But for you and for me, we never were allowed to go into that place. We wouldn't be able to see God the way Moses saw God. We wouldn't have the opportunity to be in the presence of the throne room because only the high priest could go in there. And so you had to worship this God that was a little bit away a little bit distant, a little, you know, invisible. We don't often see God in the flesh. We don't often hear God's voice audibly. And so the ancient Israelites, they would have their Asherah poles and their altars for Baal because it was just so tempting when you need something to have a present God to turn to. And so... It was a way to have a close encounter with the God of the universe or a visible God or a regional God or a national God. All these idols. Now, for most of us, we probably don't have idols in our house, right? Anyone want to admit to that one? Hands? Nobody? You know, we don't have idols in our house. Um, We don't have uh, idols in our workplaces. We don't have idols in our yards. Uh, I think... For the most part, we don't think like that anymore. But it is true for us that God can seem distant. And he isn't usually visible. You typically can't ask God a question and get an answer. Not, not audibly. Obviously, we believe that we can hear from the Lord. We can interact with God. But it's, it's different. It's got a different quality to it. And so, what do we do when we're worried What do we do when we're scared? What do we do when we're needy? What do we do when we don't understand our purpose or what we're called to do? Well, we turn to modern idols. Anything that's present, that's tangible, that helps us deal with our deepest needs, our deepest needs for safety, for belonging, our deepest needs for comfort, maybe even our very life, our our actual survival. But what does it look like? well let's think about some examples do you not feel safe well the world says hey let's turn to the government the government's job is to keep you safe right so we're going to build a powerful military to keep you safe and if you're afraid of a virus the government's going to create a vaccine for the virus and if you're afraid of hunger then the government will feed you if you're hungry and if you're afraid of a progressive takeover of the nation, then the government can stop it if only we have the right people in place. If only our party wins the election, then we will be safe. But I think we all know, if we step back for a moment and reflect, we all realize that while it, is in, while it does matter who's in charge of the government, it does matter who is elected to different positions of authority, That's why we encourage you to vote. That's why we encourage Christians to be civically engaged. The government will never, ever, ever be able to truly protect you. will never truly be able to resolve the challenges and the problems of this world. They cannot guarantee that you won't die. They can't guarantee that you won't get sick. They can't guarantee anything for you. So why do we invest so much of ourselves into politics. You know, we can occupy part of our trust, our hope, and our adoration that should belong fully to Jesus. We can occupy that and fill that with the wrong things. And so again, it's not government's horrible, but don't let government take that place. Well, what if you're sick? What if you're hurting What if you're afraid of getting sick? What if you're experiencing some kind of pain? Well, the right thing to do is turn to Jehovah Rapha, God who is healer. But what we do when we have idols in our lives is that we look for our healing somewhere else. And the most obvious way that that turns out in a really bad way is when we self-medicate to deal with our pain. Physical pain, emotional pain. And we we might look for healing from that in all sorts of places. So uh, maybe your pain drives you to alcohol or marijuana or some other kind of drugs. Maybe your pain forces you to run into the arms of ice cream. Maybe your pain forces you to run in the arms of pornography. Maybe your pain forces you into the arms of and then just feeling like, what is that thing for you when you're really hurting and you just need some relief? Now again ice cream's not bad right ice cream's not bad amen (laughs) it's not inherently bad but anything that we use compulsively anything that has that control over us anything we use in an attempt to heal ourselves and deal with our own pain without god those things are idols and it is funny how i use that language for a moment anything that has control over you. So it truly is your God. It is your master. It is your Lord when it has that hold on you. So even if we become physically addicted, we say, well, I've got a physical addiction. I can't stop. It's not that it's an idol. Well, how did that happen in the first place? At least one time, you turn to something to ease your pain that really only God can ease, that only God can heal. And then, usually, you did it over and over and over again, and it becomes this addiction. So we're looking in all the wrong places. And what happens is, you elevate that thing above Jesus. And I will say this, even if you didn't elevate it above Jesus, if it took up too much of what belongs only to Jesus, it's an idol. But usually what happens is, it must increase and Jesus must decrease. The opposite of what we're invited to do. Church, where do you turn when you're sad? Do you turn to entertainment, like television or music movies? Do you co- turn to those comfort foods? So I mentioned ice cream, but it could be macaroni and cheese. It could be what I, well, something with lots of sugar and cheese and fat, usually, right? It's the best kind of foods that are our comfort foods. You know no one's ever like, "Oh, I'm really sad. I just need some carrots." Right? No, you don't want carrots. You want chocolate. You want ice cream. You want cookies. You want macaroni and cheese. You want something of substance that usually is not doing you any good, either emotionally or physically. Although, again, in moderation, all things to the glory of God. Maybe you turn to ecstatic religious experiences. Maybe you need your next spiritual high. Maybe you see church as a shot in the arm each week. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a wonderful experience at church, but if it's church that's getting you through the week, then it's not God that's getting you through the week. Church can be an idol. Religious experiences can be an idol. Maybe it's an ungodly sexual fulfillment that's never really that fulfilling anyway. Maybe it's illicit substances that you're either trying to drown out or alter the sadness. You know, it's either a downer to let you Forget about it, or it's an upper to help you not think that way and feel that way. And many of these things, uh, not some of the illicit things, but many of these things can be used in healthy ways, in God-honoring ways. But when we need them, or we expect them to help us, or we place undue trust in them, they're idols. We can go on, and so I will. (laughs) If you need healing, and you're dealing with that healing, and, and you're dealing with pain, I'm talking about physically now. Maybe you turn to uh, science and medicine and technology. You know, I am grateful and at least cautiously optimistic about the coronavirus vaccine. If it works, it's a wonderful thing. And we're, you know, I am keeping my eye on that. That's really, that could be an absolute game changer where we don't have to sit in here eventually wearing masks and feeling afraid every time we uh, give someone a hug that we don't live with or have to be worried about having friends over for Christmas and our neighbors calling the cops or something. I mean, these types of things happen, right? It'll be great when that's no longer necessary. But let's be honest. Some people will take the vaccine and they'll still get COVID. Some of those people who take the vaccine and get COVID will pass away. Science is no guarantee. And we can't create a vaccine for everything, right? and medicine will never help us live forever and ever although they are trying it won't work it won't work science can't prevent pain whether it's physical or emotional or relational and uh, science can help you medicine can help you with pain but it can't really solve the pain not really because a lot of our pain you have to understand is not just the result of uh, bad luck or even bad habits. Our pain ultimately is the result of sin. And it's ultimately the result of death. And medicine has no answer for sin. And science has no real answer for death. And likewise, what about social media? I saw uh, Dorothy pulling her phone out. Hey, talk about idols. She's already offering examples. Our phones, our social media, our diversions, or uh, video games, or, or texts, or Instagram, or Snapchat, or Pinterest, or whatever it is that you go to when you just can't deal with the world anymore, or that you're so addicted to that you turn to it all the time. You know, social media was supposed to connect us more than we'd ever been connected in our lives. In contrast, it has been The participant in creating the most disconnected and disgruntled and agitated and divided culture that possibly has ever existed. That's possible. I can't prove that. So, social media hasn't been our salvation and it hasn't been a solution for our disconnection. And there's some good aspects of it, don't get me wrong, there are things that are great about it. But it has also exasperated the problem. The very thing we were hoping to solve got worse with the solution. And this is what the world, this is multiplied in the world over and over and over again. When we put our hope in the wrong things, they actually make worse the problem that we started with. So church, you know this. If, we, if I were to ask you, you would all answer correctly. Is money a savior? No. Is power a savior? No. Is fame a savior? Popularity a savior? Is, is virtual reality, if we could just escape this world and go into a virtual world, would that be a savior? I mean, if you're into sci-fi, you know that the virtual worlds always end up worse than the actual worlds. It's, it doesn't go well. Uh, there's, there's no hope in these things. Now I hear what you're saying, Uh, Pastor, uh, Christmas sermon, where's the hope, where's the joy? But here's the thing, Christmas and Jesus, that is the hope. You see, money doesn't need to be a savior, because Jesus is a savior. Fame doesn't need to be a savior, because Jesus is a savior. The government doesn't need to be our savior, because Jesus is our savior. Those things that we run to don't need to be gods for us because we already have the greatest God. So you don't need to elect your preferred candidate to have hope for the future. Isn't that freeing? You don't need to. You don't need to uh, avoid illness to have joy. How does that sound? That sounds good to me. You don't need to hide your pain or hide from your pain in order to have comfort and to be healed you don't need a strong military to be free i mean look at the heroes of the faith look at paul did paul have a government supporting him no that government beat him imprisoned him uh sent him on ships that got shipwrecked that government was not good to paul but at least he had money right oh wait no <laughs> he's he's like scraping a living as he's sharing the gospel traveling around the world making tents and selling these things just so he can have enough food to eat and he says sometimes i'm hungry sometimes i'm without things uh, it, it sounds silly to us but uh you know there's this passage where paul tells his friend hey by the way i'm out of paper could you bring the paper that i have could you bring my scrolls to me because i'm running i'm running low on supplies here and you kind of imagine, like, what's the thing that we would be asking for today? That man's asking for paper. He doesn't have any. Uh, you know, he, he was a hard, hardworking person. He went hungry. He was in prison, beaten, all these things. Paul didn't have medicine. You know, when Timothy's got a bad stomachache, Paul tells him, drink a little wine. That's the best they had. Now, I've had a stomachache before, and I drank a little wine just to see what would happen. It got worse. I don't know what Paul was. I don't know what wine they were drinking. I just like. I wonder if this works. I was. I was testing the scriptures, people. It didn't work for me. So Paul here, you know, Paul doesn't have any of these comforts. And and, and let's add another piece in. He was a celibate, single man, who was that way for the Lord. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have kids. He didn't have the comforts to turn to. What he did have was a thorn in the flesh. What he did have were churches that were in constant rebellion. What he did have was an incredible understanding of the power of his own weakness. Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. So Lord's power is made perfect in my weakness. It's actually the opposite of everything we're striving for is where we find the power of God. Everything that I've mentioned so far in this sermon is our attempt to not be weak. We're not going to be weak by electing the right candidate. We're not going to be weak by uh, not experiencing the pain of our emotions, so we're going to drown them in ice cream or drugs or whatever it is. We're not going to be weak because science and technology are going to solve our problems. I'm not going to be weak because I have 585 Facebook friends. So, of course, I'm popular and people like me. Right? But all of those things keep us from the true power, the true strength, the, sh- the true goodness, the true healing that's found only in Jesus Christ. But Mary gets this. Mary sees it. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46... Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for, look at this, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary says, I'm worshiping God because God was alert to my weakness. God was alert to my smallness. And so I'm going to make him big. Do you see it? And she goes on to say, um, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This is her, this humble little girl. I mean, she could easily have been 14, 15 years old. This young child by our standards today. And she's speaking out these incredibly profound and beautiful things about the Lord. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those. Here it is: scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Are you haughty? God casts you aside. If you think you've got it all together, God doesn't have time for that. So He's like, "Uh." Eh. But think about that for a moment. If God scatters the people who have confidence in themselves then and you're spending and we're i'm doing it too and we're spending our time trying to become confident in ourselves what does that say about our future he scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts he brought down rulers from their thrones god is a god who tears down rulers and we can spend so much energy trying to raise up the rulers we want and God's the one who takes them down. All of them. All rulers fall. Every single ruler in history has fallen. This is not a, it's not a comment about the current uh, uh, political situation. It's a comment about the world's political situation constantly, all the time, through all of history. But he has lifted up the humble. Do you want to be raised up by God? Lower. you got to get lower. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Guys, I want to be rich. I want to be rich. But that's a misplaced desire because God sends the rich away hungry, but he fills those who are hungry. I... Sh- and, and, and hear me out, this is not, uh, it's, it's not just about, oh, I need to empty my bank account. That's not the point. The point is, there are those of us who are satisfied with what we have, and those, those of us who hunger for what only God has. That's this, That's real distinction here. And it says there, here in verse 54, he helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So God keeps his promises. So God sees Mary's humble state, and then he chooses her to be the mother of Jesus. So when God does these acts of scattering the proud and tearing down rulers and sending the, the rich away hungry and empty, he's reminding us of the things that really matter. So this Advent season and Christmas season is a reminder of the things that actually matter in the world. So let us cast down those idols. Let us tear down those Asherah poles. Let us... Break those altars for Baal. Whatever they look like in your life and in mine. Because once we put aside our idols, and here's the good news. Guys, have you ever uh, noticed your computer going slow? And you do that magic, control, alt, delete. And then you get the task manager. And then you see there's all these programs running in the background. and They're taking up your memory. You're like, I didn't even know this one was running. I don't even know what this one is. But it, fill, it takes up all that, that capacity that your computer has to do what you want it to do. If you're struggling to worship the Lord, what's draining the system? What's running in the background? Which files and programs and all these things are up that don't need to be up? And quite frankly, some of them should never be up. That's what this idolatry thing is really like. It just drains your capacity to worship what really should be worshiped. Because, you know, we are by nature, by our created design, we are worshipers. And so we will always be worshiping something. If we want to worship the Lord, then we can't be worshiping the other things. So, control all, delete your life for a moment. Reflect what's running in the background. Do a full scan and start shutting things down. Let Advent be that time for you to shut those things down. And you know what? It's not that they'll never turn on again because you know you turn them off and then the next time you're on your computer they're on again. You got to shut them off again. You have to consciously say, no, I'm not going to put my trust in money. I'm not going to put my trust in um, technology. I'm not going to put my trust in whatever it is for you. So I'll be honest. Uh, my, my car, is, my car is, is dying. It's on its way dying. All right? And I'm thinking, okay, I need to buy a new car. And I, I'm just going to tell you right now, I hate buying cars. I hate buying a new car. I don't like the money that's involved. I don't like the choice you have to make because like, I'm, I'm going to have... I want to have a car for like that, 15 years. I want to run that thing into the ground, right? So that's a big choice. The only thing that I've chosen that's going to last longer than that is my wife. And I chose very well on that, but that's no guarantee that I'm going to choose well on this car, right? So I don't like it. But I'm thinking, okay, we scraped a little money together. Maybe we can do this. And then uh, things started coming up. So we had our other car was actually in an accident, but... Thank God it's being repaired and we're going to get it back. But I thought, oh no, now I can't get a car because we're going to have to replace this other car. And I start worrying about money. And you know what I thought of? This was like six weeks ago. I thought, ooh, I wonder if the government's going to send out more stimulus checks. (laughs) That's what I thought. We're a family of five, my friends. We got a decent-sized stimulus check last time. Maybe they're going to do it again. You know, look, there's nothing wrong with thinking that. But what I saw in my heart, what I saw in my mind is that I was thinking, if this happens, then we'll be okay. And if it doesn't, then we won't be okay. And at the time, it seemed like it wasn't happening. By the way, it looks like there might be a stimulus check smaller than last time. That's the last I read. But, hmm? it, it did go through. So, there you go. If you're If you don't make too much money, you're getting some money from the government. And look, I I don't have anything against, as as a concept, receiving something from the government. But here's what I say. If I'm depending on something from the government or anyone else, anything else, for my contentment, for my peace, for my joy, for my trust, my heart is in the wrong place. So I had to repent of... Believing that if the government bailed me out, then I would be okay, and if it didn't, then I wouldn't. Now, if and when that check comes, I'm going to put that towards a car, right? Because we, we really need a car. But if it doesn't come, if for whatever reason they change the limits and we don't, we don't get it, whatever, I'm not going to despair because I know God will give us what we need. And maybe I'm wrong and we don't need a new car. But God knows whether we need a new car. So it can be as silly, I mean, that feels silly to me. That feels like a silly example. But it's the, the ones like, if, if, if you're addicted to a, a drug or, not, or alcohol, that's, that's obvious. That's not honoring God. But sometimes it's those little things like the way you think about some resource that you want. And maybe that's the, the idol in your life. So it's an everything in between, everything in between. So again, it's our fourth week of Advent. We didn't want to just rush, or I didn't want to just rush right into the pure celebration of Christmas just yet. So it's one more opportunity for us to be more ready to celebrate If we let Advent do its work to clear out the space in our hearts and make room that can be filled with Jesus Christ. You know, let every heart prepare him room. Right, That is is what we're after here. And when you prepare that room and you fill it with Jesus, when Jesus fills your heart, then you can know the true joy of Christmas. Right? Then you can know what, what... the real hope of christmas is you know we see this in our stories but you know a christmas carol with ebenezer scrooge that man couldn't have any joy in christmas because his heart was so filled with idols so filled with idols but if you think about it and and it comes out more in the book than it does in any of the movies that you watch is that Ebenezer Scrooge, through the course of these three nights with the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas future, what those spirits are doing is they're actually ripping away his trust in the things that he has been able to put his trust in previously. He can't put his trust in wealth. He can't put his trust in money. He can't put his trust in the relationships he has because he's destroyed them all. But if he would open his heart, there's a new way, a different way. And you know, when Ebenezer Scrooge goes to bed one night and then he wakes up on Christmas morning, has anything in his life changed? Nothing in his life has changed except one thing. He now has room in his heart for the joy of Christ. And it really is the joy of Christ. And that's what we can have this year. All of our false gods can be thrown out and we can usher in the Emmanuel. You know, I mentioned earlier that the, de- the challenge of worshiping this one God is that you don't have a God in your house. You don't have a God in your bedroom. You don't have a shrine. You don't have uh, these things to look at. But then what does God do? He says, I'm going to take your idols and I'm going to not only see them, but I'm going to raise you uh, an infinity. <laughs> and I'm going to come in the flesh. I'm not just going to come in wood or stone or plastic or anything else. I'm coming in the flesh. And Jesus is God with us. And then when Jesus ascends into heaven, what does he say? Another like me is being sent for you, the Holy Spirit. And we have indwelling in us, the Holy Spirit, the God of the universe. We have become the temple of God. So if you want to be present with God, there's two things you can do. You can look in because he's there. And you can look across to your neighbor because he's there. This is is the reality of Christmas, is that God chose to dwell among men. He didn't leave his people in a state of being apart and separated from him. He came close. And he came so close that he came as one of us. And so this guy with us, who's the king of kings and the lord of lords, he will satisfy your longings he will heal your pain he will take care of your sadness he will give you relation, relational joy he will give you hope for the future he's the one who sets you free and keeps you free look if if the whole world tomorrow decided to invade this nation and they won the battle we would still be free in christ i've met uh, chinese christians Chinese Christian leaders who have suffered in prison. I've seen the bruises and permanent scars on their body because they follow Jesus Christ. But I tell you what, every single one of them that I met was so joyful, so alive. It made me jealous. And look, I don't pray that any of us go to prison, but it's hard to escape the fact that believers who've been to prison are often more joyful than believers who haven't. They often have more trust in God than those who've never been persecuted. And yet we're praying that our country would never experience persecution. I'm not, I'm not able to pray either of those things. I'm not brave enough to pray for persecution. But I also can't pray against it because I don't know what God's going to use for you and for me to experience the fullness of what He offers in Jesus Christ. We've got to put our trust in the right things. Right? Right? So God will govern us in peace and justice. God will give us peace. God will protect us. So empty out that space inside so that your soul can magnify the Lord. So that you can be like Mary. So that you can exalt the God of the universe who presents himself weak and small because he's showing us that it's in weakness and smallness that the greatest power comes into the world. Let's pray. Lord God, there is no uh, there is no uh, truth, no power, no resource that we have access to in and of ourselves and as, a, as humanity, Lord, that will ever give us what we need. Not really. But God, you so graciously offered it in Jesus Christ. You so graciously given us and promised us to satisfy our souls. But Lord, we have a hard time believing it. right now what we need is a boost to our faith. We need to be drawn into the truth of what we've just heard and the truth of what your scripture says over and over and over that all of our longings will be satisfied in Christ that all of our hopes will be true in Jesus that all of our needs uh, for comfort for peace and for joy uh, that they'll only be satiated by your presence and then God help us to live like that's true help us to pursue you above these other things and God, I confess now that I have idols in my life, that I have hopes and aspirations and, and resources and uh, things that I have and things that I do that I turn to before you for my needs. And God, while they're not all bad in and of themselves, I do pray on, for myself and on behalf of our church, Lord, that you would use this time of Advent to strip them away. As I said earlier, to, to, uh, to rip away the pretenders to the throne so that you and you alone can sit as rulers of our lives and rulers of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.